Good morning. Dave introduced me before, Rod Burney, so you know. The one thing I want to let you know first, that if you see my hand doing this, it's because I have Parkinson's, so I can't help it. So don't, don't focus on this. I'll try not to lift up with this hand and get all... But it's there. I wanted to get it out of the way so I don't have to worry about it, so you don't have to worry about it either. Before I pray, I want to read something from a man named Ray Steadman. He wrote the following, because this sermon series is about Psalms, and he said the following. The Psalms are designed to teach us to do one primary thing, to worship. Arya said that last week. Though they reflect every human emotion, which is unique. You read the Psalms, you're going to cover every emotion we get about half. They do so in a distinct and important way. There are emotions seen in relationship to God. Every psalm is written as if in the very presence of God. If you have a problem in your life, tell God about it. Don't hide it. Don't cover it up. Especially, do not become pious and sanctimonious and try to act as though there are no trouble. Because I can... I know... We come into this building and sometimes we carry suitcases of issues that are going on in our lives. And we do our best in many respects to hide that from other people. But we're not hiding it from God. He knows how we feel. So don't be afraid to express it. If you feel angry with God, it's best to say so. If you're upset about something, tell him your sense of disturbance. But remind him also that you know how foolish it is to be upset with him. If you're resentful, bring that out. If you're happy and joyful, express that. That is what worship is, he said. A heart pouring out honest reactions to a God who both can correct and restore. But we need to be honest before him as we come to worship him. If we learn to be honest before God, even about troubles and problems, wrong moods and resentful attitudes we shall quickly find his grace answering our needs. So above all else, come before the Lord today with honesty. He knows us. But before we read the scripture, let us pray. Father, it has been said that we come before you and you know us. You know what's going on in our hearts and our minds, the joys, the sorrows, the pain, the anguish, the apathy, the doubt, the fear, the loneliness, the variety of emotions that we feel. You know that. Yet we come before you, Lord, desiring to be honest before you. So enable us in all that we do to be honest in our worship. Enable us to hear your voice. Enable us to trust you this day for your honor, for your glory. May your name be uplifted this day through Christ Jesus. Amen. Now before we get to Psalm 142, I want, there's the heading of the psalm, and it says it's a maskil. Now a maskil, according to what I've read, is an uncertain, it's uncertain meaning. They really don't know. I've heard they come up with two areas that it might be. One is a literary term, the other a musical term. Okay, and if what, both of them are connected to how a psalm should be read or how a t- psalm should be sung. It says David is the author. 
the context. And every psalm has the context so clearly written. David is in a cave. He's hiding. Hiding from Saul, who wants to kill him. Okay, and many scholars think the cave is Adjulam or it's in En Gedi, but they don't know. It's an intense, desperate prayer. It's not life. It's not full of joy and praise, though there is a desire to praise him. But it is an intense prayer that in many respects we can identify with. And it's categorized, because the Psalms are categorized into different groupings. This is categorized as a lament or complaint psalm. It's not as if David is whining to God. He's complaining about the trouble he's in. He's explaining to God what is going on. He expresses his grief. Psalms of lament express grief. They express pain. They express sorrow because of a very difficult circumstance. And his circumstance is extremely difficult. Yet he has time to pray. And he has not only time to pray, but it's it's recorded. But listen... Follow along as I read to you from Psalm 142. Try to imagine being in a cave. Try to imagine your life in danger. Try to imagine that you feel desperate, alone, forgotten, forsaken by everyone around you. Here's David. He starts off. This is from the NIV, by the way. Normally it's the ESV. I chose the NIV. So be it. David starts off and he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my, before him my complaint. Before him I tell him my troubles, my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is, to, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see. There's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am depressed, for I am in, a desperate, in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. I hope you got an idea. You sense David is overwhelmed. David feels at the end of his rope. David feels, God, you don't intervene. I'm going to be no more. He feels that low, extremely hurt, extremely low emotionally. Now, I don't know if any one of you can identify with that. We can identify being low. We can identify being overwhelmed with life. And David was very overwhelmed. So what does he do? when he feels that way. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed? What do you do when life gets to be too much? You just want to pack it up and say, I'm going to Hawaii, see you later. Can't take no more. You know, we'd like to get away from it all. Get out of here. You know, what would you do? What do you do when you are frightened? When life feels overwhelming to you. You're saddened by the pains of life. And I'm sure some people sitting in here today are saddened. Some people in here today are struggling because of the pains of life. Some people in here are hoping that God would set them free. Nothing wrong with that. But that's where we are. 
But sometimes we pretend the problems don't exist. We run the other way. Sometimes we distract ourselves to deal with the pains. Sometimes we do anything but to deal with the pain. And sometimes we get on our knees and we pray and ask God, Lord, help me. That's what we need to do. But that's what David does. Psalm 142 describes in many respects how David reacts to the pain that's in his life. It also gives us a picture of how we may react to pain in our lives. But you've got to remember one thing about this psalm. He's talking to, he's talking about a very desperate, desperate situation in his life. I mean, life and death. He is hurting deeply. Now, you've been through situations, and you know people who are going through extreme pain, extreme unknowns. Well, this psalm, in many respects, gives us some steps toward addressing that. Describes how David responded to it, and also gives us an idea how we should respond to it. And the first thing David did is that he said in the psalm, verse 1, I cry aloud where? To my neighbor, to my friend, to my wife, to my co-workers. I cry aloud to the Lord. I cry aloud to the Lord. You know, and the one thing, again, this is a very, very difficult situation David is in. There are situations we may be in which may not be quote-unquote urgent, which may not be creating a major stress in our lives, but are there. What do we do? Do we take them to the Lord even though we might think that he thinks they're insignificant? Do we take them to the Lord? Or do we hold on to them and say, I don't want to bother God with that little insignificant little, ah, he doesn't care, you know, where I park my car. You know, he doesn't care if I, you know, about getting to the hospital in time. He doesn't care about it. Yes, he does. He does. See, part of our prayers do reflect what we think about who God is. They do reflect that. Because if, we, if, if, we, if I asked you all to take a piece of paper and write out a psalm, maybe a psalm of lament, what would it say? How would you describe God in there? Would God be mentioned in it? See, David, when he prays, and this is a prayer, he prays and he mentions the Lord, he, and he asks God to do certain things. How well do you know the God you're praying to? David, in his prayer, in verse 3, he says, When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. So he recognizes that he sees God as watching him, that God's eye is off of him. He believes that he's not alone from the Lord. And then you get down to verse number 5. He says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge. Do you see God as a refuge? David did. A safe place. A safe place for him to go. A refuge. A, a place where he feels protected and watched over. That is his, that's how he sees God. As a refuge. And then he goes on and he says, my port, that I see God as my portion in the land of the living. And I, first time I read that I said, what is he talking about? My portion in the land of the living. And I was reading a couple of commentaries. One commentary suggested looking at the Good News translation of how they take that verse. And I like the way they say it. Instead of saying, my portion in the land of the living, the Good News says, you are all I want in this life. Is that your heart? That was David's desire. Because he was a man whose heart was after God. 
He was a man who had a heart for God. And he said, you are all I want in this life. Reflect. Is that how we see God? You're all I want, all I need in this life. In the midst of going through all he was going through. All the pain, the anguish, the loneliness, the being forgotten, being not thought of by individuals. He continually looked to the Lord. Continually looked to God because there was nothing else. And he knew the Lord was watching out for him. Do we know that? Do we know that God's eye is on you right here and now? That there's nothing going on between those two years that he doesn't know about? Doesn't know about the struggle you have spiritually? Doesn't know about the struggle you have financially? Doesn't know about the struggle you have a job at home in relationships? He knows about that. So I said, be honest before him. You are my refuge. May he we learn that he is our refuge. God is watching over him. He's watching over us. God is his refuge. God is our refuge. God is our portion, inheritance. God is all that we need in life. We need to be like David. Is turn to the Lord when things get blown out of proportion, when we can't take what's going on. The little stuff and the big stuff. Turn to the Lord. God is our refuge. But what also really struck me about it, and I did mention it, is that in his prayer, David believed who God is. The part, of who, part of the attributes of God is that in, in describing him is he is our refuge. He watches over us. You read Psalm 139, and David had wrote, written that psalm. What does it say? You know, there are times when you can't hide from God's spirit. When you sit, I know you're sitting. When you stand, I know you're standing. Before a word is on your tongue, I know it. God knows all about us. How would you conceive God to be in your mind? Who do you conceive God to be? And that would be reflected in our prayers. Because if we believe that he cares for us, we believe that he watches out for us, we believe that nothing is impossible with him, should our prayers reflect that? Shouldn't be a people who ask God for the great and mighty things? You know, I forget what missionary it was who said, expect great things from God and do great things for God. Do we expect God to do great things in our prayer? Do we expect him to answer our prayer? Do we expect to be mightily changed? May we learn to do so. A.W. Tozer, a pastor and author, wrote the following. He said that the most important fact about any person is not what, not what they at any given time may do or think, but what in their deep heart do they conceive God to be like? Because that conception of who God is will be reflected in how we pray. And if we have a great, awesome God, our prayers will reflect it. If we have a God who doesn't want to be bothered with the little things, our prayers will reflect it. If we have a God who cares about every detail in our life, our cares will reflect it. Who or do you conceive God to be like? And I, and I know you've heard this before, but I'm going to read it to just part of it from Psalm Isaiah 40. Maybe this reflects who you see God to be like. He said, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its peoples are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? 
He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing because of what God, who he is. May our prayers reflect that. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. So may our prayers reflect the fact that who he is. I heard one individual say, you know, too often our prayers are like asking our trillionaire father for 50 cents. Oh, come on. I mean, 50 cents. I can give you so much. Ask. Be honest and ask. You know, and we need to do that. J.I. Packer, author, theologian, he wrote the following, and I've thought about this a few times, and again, you think about it, this is our God, and this is the God of David also. This is not just, you know, forgotten. This is the God that he believed in. He said, God knows me. He said, I am graven on the palms of his hand. I am never out of his mind. It's an awesome thought. Never out of his mind. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care for me falters. There's no hiccups in his care for you, for me. There's none. He said, God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. Imagine David thinking that, that he's going through all he's going through, but God is watching over him for his good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. How often do we want to hide the ugliness about us? doesn't change God's love for us. So that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I'm so often disillusioned about myself. He sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow men do not see and and that he sees more corruption in me than I see in myself. He wants me as a friend and desires to be my friend He has given his son to die on the cross to realize that purpose. He wants us. He cares for us. Continually reflect, who is the God that I say I believe in? Learn. He's infinite. We're finite. So don't come to the point of figuring, oh, I know it all. Oh, come on. Let's be humble enough to realize, man, oh, man, we got a lot to learn. Too often we're in kindergarten when it comes to this, not even preschool probably. So let's learn to grow and to seek and to admit the fact, God, I don't know you and I need to. I've been pretending I've got to stop pretending. I've got to start being real about this. I've got to take this book and, and, and begin to know it. I can spew out verses, but do I know what they're all about? Do they change my opinion of people? We need to work at it. So the first thing David did was he sought God. He looked to the Lord. May we do the same. Second thing he did, well, actually the first thing, he said, I cry out, I cry out, I cry aloud. I lift my voice. How many times have you prayed out loud? 
not in a group of people, but by yourself. How many times you walked around saying, oh, Lord, help me. This is crazy. I can't do it. You got to help me. Please, this is too much for me. Or get on your knees and say, God, I'm overwhelmed. How often do we do that? As Charles Stanley defined it, he said, to cry out refers to speaking loud, audibly with great emotion concerning an urgent need. Now, we may all not be going through situations that are urgent. We may have, and probably guarantee we will be. But when that occurs, he says, crying out to God is audible. I mean, we have done it in our heads. We've done it, you know, quietly in our, in our mouth. But I mean, just to walk around on a beach or around your neighborhood, or people might think you're nuts, but that's okay. Walking around, crying out to God, lifting your hands, help me. But we need to humble ourselves and realize there are times when we are just beyond, we've, we've tried everything. We're at the end of the rope. What are we going to do? Ask. And we need to do that. Crying out is to ask with desperation in the heart, to have anguish and sorrow for the request, the sorrow that comes from the depth of our being. This isn't just a normal little prayer. This is something that you are just being eaten away with. This is a cry out. Like I said before, this is a, it's a desperate prayer of David. This isn't just something very light. This he is, God, you got to help me. Please come. It requires humility. Be humble enough to say, you know what, Lord, I can't do it. And how many of us like to admit that we can't do it? Oh, I can figure that out. I don't need to do that. I don't need to bother God with that. This is, we can't do it. Be humble. Unconditional surrender and attitude. Lord, I can't do it. Totally yours. You're pleading for mercy. And what does David say? I cried to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy, for compassion for kindness. Touch my heart, please. And involves desperation. What am I going to do? I am in need of you, dear God. You're desperate. Have you ever felt that way? Desperate? Spiritually desperate? Well, those are requirements or some of the characteristics of those who I have cried out to the Lord. That needs to be part of our prayers. Not necessarily every day, mind you, but they're talking about an urgent need. Be willing to humble ourselves and to cry out to God, to come to the end and say, Lord, I need you. Elijah cried out to God in in 1 Kings 19, and he revived a dead child. Hezekiah cried out to God in 2 Chronicles 22, and God gave him victory in battle. There's a little book, and I meant to bring it, a tiny little book, and it's all about crying out to God. A guy named Bill Gothard. Very fascinating book about people who got to the point and they just humbled themselves, crying out loud, and things happened that were beyond, huh? It's only God intervening. So crying out is very biblical. And may we learn to be humble enough to do so. But David not only cried out to the Lord, I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. He said, I poured out before him my complaint. He was honest. He was honest. He held nothing back from the Lord. He admitted, you read Psalm 51, again, he admitted his sin with Bathsheba. 
David was a, had a heart for God. He wasn't perfect. He blew it. But his heart was for God. He wanted him to be honored and glorified. He, I pour out before him my complaint. And how often have we ever poured out before God what we're feeling? I mean, I mean you don't leave anything out. It may sound ugly. It may sound, oh, disgusting. I feel that way. It's how we feel. Have you ever done that? Cry out. Pour out your complaint before God. I tell him all my troubles. As one individual said, I tell him all my troubles in detail. I don't hold it back. May we not hold it back. You know, David said, when my spirit grows faint within me, I, I have had it, Lord. I, I'm weak. I need your help. I'm emotionally weak. There's no one at my right hand, verse 4. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Feels alone and forgotten. You ever felt that way? I feel alone. I feel forgotten. I feel invisible. I feel no one cares for me. I feel I'm getting too old. I feel I'm, you know, I'm too young. No one understands me. Whatever it might be. Do we express it? Or do we have a room in our house that has a door on it in our minds that is stuffed full of unspoken thoughts and, and, and pains? Eh, God doesn't care. Eh, it's too late now. Eh, we just stuff it and stuff it and stuff it in this room. Let it out. Come before the Lord and start doing a spring house cleaning on some of the thoughts we, we need to get out and allow him to direct us to what we're going to do with them. He says, I cry to you, Lord. I am, in a, I am in desperate need. There are people too strong for me. I am weak. You're strong. I can't do it, but you can. We have to admit it. The humility runs through the psalm. May we learn to be a humble people before the Lord. And last of all, don't be afraid to ask. David asks. He says in verse number... Six, listen to my cry. Can you imagine telling that to God? I want you to listen to my cry. You got that? Give me your attention. Listen. David felt so comfortable with God, so in a walk with him, so connected to him, that he could say some things. We might go, ooh, boy, that's kind of tough, isn't it? Answer me now, Lord. Ooh, wait a minute. Who are you talking to? But he knew God, and he knew that he could say that, and God still loved him. God cared for him. He wasn't being disrespectful. He's crying what's in his heart. You need to answer me. I'm in a desperate need. Rescue me. Set me free from my prison. You ever ask God just to do that? Lord, get me out of this. Help me. We need to do that. Hebrews 4.16 says, you know, let us then throne the, pro- the, the throne of God with what? Confidence, or the King James said what? With boldness, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Do we do that? With confidence, boldness, to come before the throne of grace. David wasn't afraid. May we learn not to be afraid. May we learn to open our mouth. May we learn to do that, to ask. At the very end of the psalm, David starts off the psalm with a complaint he ends the psalm with a desire to, that God be praised. Because in verse 7, he says, Set me free from my prison. Now that prison could be the cave. It could have been 
the thoughts, but set me free that I may praise your name. But God, set me free because I'll praise your name after I'm set free. Like a little bit of a bargain here. Set me free, I'll praise you. If you don't set me free, well, no. That's not the way it works. But however, he asked God to set him free. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me, because they will see your goodness and will rejoice in you. Very important. Very simple psalm, seven verses. Says a lot. It speaks a lot. I do pray that for each of us, your loneliness and gloom and despair may make you cry out to the Lord to bring your soul out of prison so that you may give thanks to his name. But may be willing to ask. Let's pray. Lord, enable us to be humble and patient before you. But let us be honest before you, Lord. Let us be honest. So enable us to open our mouths. Enable us to recognize who you are. Enable us, Father, not to give up, but to turn to you, to cry out to you, to be honest before you, and to wait patiently for you. We thank you for this psalm. Enable us not only to know it, but enable us to apply it for your honor and glory. Amen.